0: This message was presented at the GYC Conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Good morning, GYC. And uh, good morning, Itai, if you're watching. That's my son. It's a blessing to be here, amen? We're going to do what we did yesterday and read the Bible, if that's okay. Okay okay hopefully some of you brought your Bibles and those who didn't you um, can go into Google Play Store I don't know what the Apple version is and download a Bible and then you can follow along um, we're in 1st Samuel chapter 14 First Samuel chapter 14 and side note um, some people did approach me for that phone number from yesterday so um, I got your back <laughs> okay 1 Samuel chapter 14 Let's bow our heads and pray as we begin. Loving Father, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you because we know we're not here because we are superhuman or somehow um, more worthy than anyone else. But in your grace and your mercy, you've seen fit for, to give us life again today. And we're grateful for the opportunity to be in this place, this venue, which is an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to be poured out without measure. And Father, we pray that that would be our experience. And Lord, I ask right now that you would hide me behind the cross, that Jesus would shine through. I know that you have spoken in the past through donkeys. And Jesus said, if need be, rocks themselves would cry out. So just make me a willing vessel, Father. Um, Use me to communicate what you want to communicate to your people this morning. Pray these things in your name. Amen. First Samuel chapter 14. We'll start in verse 1. This is um, the chapter uh, that our key, te- key uh, theme for this weekend is based and I'll admit that in preparation, I was kind of nervous about uh, preaching from this chapter because I'm like, man, everybody's going to preach from this chapter, and then it's going to be whack, and everybody's going to be like, oh, we heard the sermon already. So um, I was struggling, and I was trying to develop a different sermon, and then my husband said, why don't you just preach from the main chapter? And I was like, because everybody's going to do that. And, um, and then I prayed more about it, and I realized, well, if, if I should preach from the main chapter, I'll preach from the same chapter. And if somebody else preaches from it, then maybe something we need to hear again. Okay, so if you hear this chapter again and again, um, don't get bored with it, I guess it's my disclaimer. That was also to make sure we're there. Are we there? Amen? First chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistines garrison that is on the other side. And then it says, but he told not his father. That parenthetical uh, statement, but he told not his father, troubled me for a bit. This is not the the main crux of our sermon, but it's an important thing to think about. Jonathan was about to do something crazy and then it says, but he told not his father. It, It insinuates that Maybe this was something he would want to tell his father. But he didn't tell his father. And you're like, why, Jonathan? Why didn't you tell your father? Let's turn to chapter 13. We're not going to read through it, but but just have your eyes perusing the chapter for reference. In chapter 13, Saul had been reigning for one year, and then he takes 3,000 men as part of his army. He has 2,000 men with him. He gives Jonathan 1,000 men. And what happens is Jonathan and his men, they go out and they actually fight the Philistines. That's why you have an army, right? Is to fight battles. So Jonathan goes with his men and they fight and defeat the Philistines in Geba. And then word goes out that the Israelites have defeated some of the Philistines. The Philistines are irate. They're like, oh yeah? Okay. It's on. They amass all of their armies. They're like 30,000 chariots and a uh, gazillion horsemen and a bazillion people, groundsmen. And, and they're just, they're, they're ready to fight. They, gra- they gather themselves, they set the battle in array, i.e. they're ready to go. It's go time. Saul calls his people, and they have this thing where before they go out to fight, they need to seek the will of the Lord. And they're waiting for Samuel, and Samuel's not coming. And they wait and Samuel's not coming, and it's day seven, and Samuel hasn't come. The the Israelites get so scared by seeing the Philistines gathered around them that they start running away until Saul is left with only 600 people from that 3,000 that he had initially. He starts to panic. He's like, how are we going to fight these gazillion Philistines with only 600 men? And in a panic, he decides, even though he is not a priest that he is going to offer the sacrifice. He fails to trust in God, what we talked about yesterday. Instead of trusting God's leading, trusting that God's timing is perfect. Instead of trusting in God, he takes matters into his own hands and he offers the sacrifice. Now you remember the story about Gideon and his 300, right? 300, right? Yeah. He started off with how many? 30,000. You remember? And, and then he, and, and, and even with 30,000, it's like, how are we going to do this? And God dwindles his army until he's got only 300 men left. And one of the things that Gideon uh, said to the Israelites at that time, for, them, for the numbers to dwindle so much, was if anybody is scared, if anybody has something else on their mind, if you're distracted, if you can't focus on the work of the Lord, you need to go home and the masses dissipate, ultimately, until he's left with only 300. Now, this waiting time for Saul, the numbers dwindled until he had 600. If Saul had remembered that story, maybe he'd have realized that he didn't need the other 2,400. Yes. Maybe he'd have realized that he didn't need those people. That God doesn't need all those people. That I could be attending a teeny tiny church. Now I'm part of a, a, a small church plant in Maryland. And uh, my husband and I started attending. The, after they had planted the church, it is still a small church plant. And you know, the challenge is, you know, they, they don't have a kids program. So we go and we are growing the children's program biologically. I guess it's my calling right now. (laughs) And teaching the children that we are contributing to the church. But you know what? People kind of like to go where people are, right? So you got, because we're there and there are children there, when young families come and then they're like, oh, there are children here and there's a children's program. But there will not be children and no children's program if no parents with children go to the church. Does this make sense? And sometimes we get caught up in men, like, and, and, and this, is this, this was our struggle, like, we go to this little church, there isn't a children's program, like, we need to train our children in the Lord, you know? And, and, and what are we going to do? We need to go to a church with an established children's program that is well-oiled, you know, that runs beautifully and perfectly. And we we can get distracted by trying to be where the numbers are. Because it's easier where the numbers are, isn't it? You're single, and you're going to this dinky little church, and it's like, Lord, there are no young people here. It's my calling in life to be married, (laughs) but there are no young people here. And so we're we're going looking for numbers, looking for the masses. And we get discouraged when it's just a few people. I stopped going to Sabbath school because there's only one other person, and she old. (laughs) Saul got discouraged looking at the few numbers that he had. And because of that, he disobeyed God. By contrast, we heard in our scripture reading, is Jonathan and his armor-bearer. It's them too. And he says, let's go and try this because who knows? Maybe God will do something for us because you know what? God is not restricted by how many people. All he needs is one committed soul. I was planning to share this quote tomorrow, but you know, in, in Desire of Ages, Ellen White says, there is no limit to the usefulness of one. Who by putting self aside makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart. And lives a life wholly consecrated to him. Desire of Ages, page 250. There is no limit to the usefulness of one. But we're looking for masses. Masses. And, and in part, that's why GYC, it, it, it becomes like this awesome mountaintop experience, right? Because you come here and you're surrounded by young people singing hymns and praising Jesus. And you're like, yes, I can be a vegan too. And you go home and it's like, Papa John's, in. <laughs> or or who's, who's the thing right now? This, um, Popeyes, Popeyes, Is that the P, yeah. It's like, Popeyes, man. Devil in that Popeye's. <laughs> At GYC, we feel like we could conquer the world because we're many. Can God use many? Yes. And he wants to use many. I think that's part of what Dean was talking about last night. God wants to use many. He wants, to, he, wants, he wants as many of us to be converted and working for him. But you know what? He doesn't need many because he's God. And this was a fundamental difference between Saul and Jonathan. And you have the two chapters side by side. It's like the Bible's trying to say, look, look at the characters of these men. They're different. But what's striking too is, in that parenthetical statement, it says, but he told not his father. Because we kind of expect that like father, like, But it wasn't the case here. It was not like father like son. This is important, especially in this generation. Our men are under attack, amen? Our women too. I think in a very special way, the devil has his sights on the men. I'm a mother of three boys. And Lord have mercy. And, and something that I, I pray about, I'm like, Lord, how do I raise godly men? Like, make me a Hannah. Help me to raise, you know, this mighty men of valor. Because the devil has it out for the men. And the sad thing is, one of the ways that he gets to our men is if he can get to the father the sins of the father are passed on to the and to his so because daddy had a temper problem I have a temper problem and my sons have a temper do you follow? and it goes from one generation to the next my father was impatient so I am impatient My father was emotionally distant. So I am emotionally distant. Understand, I'm, I'm not saying this doesn't affect the daughters too, right? It affects the daughters. But I'm speaking about Saul and Jonathan, a father and a son. And here you have a situation where Jonathan said, I do not have to be my father. I am not my daddy. My husband and I talk about this often as we discuss how we parent our children and oftentimes and this is no disrespect to our parents we love our parents and I, I can speak for my parents who raised me I have a lot of respect for what they did I'm reading through um, Adventist home and I'm like man did my mom read this because like she did a lot of this stuff like she, she is awesome right and I asked I'm like mom did you like consult Adventist and she's like no I just prayed I'm like oh well okay but you should have read it because some of the stuff, you know, you... <laughs> and sometimes, you know, we'll catch ourselves doing something. And, and it's like, it's like he, he, my husband's like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, I don't know. And then I have to go back and think and reflect. And it's like, man, this is how I was raised. And we have to have the conversation where it's like, okay, this is how you are raised. But is this how we want to raise our kids? And I'm like, no. And he'll say to me, you're not your mother. And I say to him often, you are not your father. Every generation, every successive generation of Christians should be better than the one before. Amen? So this is not dissing anybody's parents. But it's saying that Jesus is coming soon. And if I have the same Christianity that my parents have, And yet the times are worse now than they were then. I'm not going to make it. As the world gets more and more evil, God's people will shine even brighter. Amen? And here Jonathan refused to be defined by his father's mistakes. He is not his father and you are not your father. You are not your mother. Psalm chapter 27 verse 10 says when father and when mother forsake me the Lord himself will take me up. What that verse tells me is I have a father, not an earthly father. I have a father who does not err. I have a father who gives me a hug when I need it and who reproves me when I need it. I have a father who does not fail. He doesn't fail to show up when he ought to be there. I have a father who makes no mistakes. That's who my father is and that's who I want to emulate beyond my earthly parents. But Jonathan did not tell his father. He couldn't confide in his father because his father was not of the same spirit. Yesterday, we kind of spoke about the marriage relationship and we said that there are some things that you won't be able to tell your spouse. There's some struggles, some spiritual things you're going through that you have to deal with Jesus, just you and Jesus. And what it's telling us today is there are some things that you will go through that you cannot talk to your mom or your dad about. There are some things that you need to wrestle with God, just you and Jesus. I have to keep reiterating. There's no disrespect to parents, okay? Please, please, please do not think I, um, I'm not down, talking down to parents. But I remember when God put a call on my heart to go into full-time ministry. I talked to my parents because my parents have always been mentors for me. And I said, you know, I was in college, and God called me to, to leave school and go get trained to be a missionary on public university campuses, in a program called Campus. And, and I, I sensed this call, I was, a, I was in my first year, oh, no, I was in my sophomore year, I was going into my, my junior year. So my sophomore year, I'm like, you know, I talked to my parents, I'm like, man, there's this program, and I, I, I feel like I should do it. And my parents said the wise thing. They said, you're on scholarship? We don't know if your scholarship will still be there if you go do this thing. God gave you the scholarship, so you need to honor him by finishing your studies. What they said made logical sense. They said, you know, when you finish your, your degree, then you can go and be a missionary. It made sense. But it wasn't what God was calling me to. And you know what I did? I obeyed my parents. And you know what? That's probably the worst decision I've ever made in my life. Because Ephesians 6 verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That next year, I went on to get into the worst possible relationship with a brother who looked like gold but was not. He was a bad ventist. He introduced me to canvassing, to to cold portering. I didn't know about ASI until I met this guy. I mean, he checked all the boxes. But it was the worst relation. I was in the wrong place. You know David, when he should have been in battle and he ended up with Bathsheba because he was in the wrong place? You know that story? Every time in my life, when I have not done what God was calling me to do, I end up doing something shady, to say the least. It took me, let me see how many years, from, from that relationship, it took me 10 years after God saved me from that horrible decision, and here I'm not trashing the guy, I'm trashing me, like I shouldn't have been there and I shouldn't have been in that relationship. It took me 10 years before I was willing to even pray about a relationship again because I was so broken. And God doesn't want that for you. He's not trying to take you from heartbreak to heartbreak. And it could have been all avoided if I just listened to Jesus. So when I was graduating. I felt the call again. I got a call from the program and they said, hey, we want you to come to this program. I think you'll be a blessing here. And maybe God is calling you. And I sensed God was calling me. And guess what I did? I talked to my parents. And they said, well, we hear what you're saying, but God has given you this degree. And you know, he wants you to work for him and make money for him. You know, missionaries don't really make money, right? He wants you to work for him, make money for him. Maybe just, just apply for jobs. If God gives you a job, then you take it to mean that he's not calling you here. I applied for jobs, and I got my dream job. It combined everything. My biochemistry major, my focus on—my my French major, my, my, my focus on, on public health. It was like the dream, and I'll be working with these awesome professors from Harvard and Stanford and like, all these like top universities. It was the dream job. They said, oh, all of the students who, go through our, um, who, who work for us as research assistants, they get into whatever medical school they want because we're well-connected. I'm like, dude, this is the dream because I was pre-med. But I had no peace. And you know what the Lord did for me? God is so kind to me. Jesus loves me, guys my favorite hymn and because it's true in my life. The Lord withheld my permission to work because I was on a student visa. I did not get my permission to work. I was one of the first to apply and I did not get it. My, my classmates got it, my, my colleagues got it. I did not get my permission to work. I went to this conference, not this conference, A different conference, a student conference training students to be missionaries on public university campuses. I went there because I was bringing other students, but while we were there, the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, you need to give me your time now. And I resisted, resisted. I got an email from one of the organizers and he said, I just feel impressed to approach you once again. What would keep you from coming and being a missionary? And I got that email, I broke down crying. I had car payments. I had an apartment I'm renting. I had my family looking forward to me being able to help out financially. I had my goals and my dreams in front of me, and yet I knew that God was calling me to something else. I'm speaking to somebody that God is calling, and maybe your parents don't get it. And finally, I responded, and I said, I listed the things and you know he responded and he said, God can take care of all of this. You just need to make a decision. So I made my decision. I called the job. I said, I'm not coming. And I called them before I talked to my parents because I knew if I talk to my parents first, I'm going to back out. So I called the job and I was like, I'm not coming anymore. And they said, okay. And then I called my parents and had that tearful conversation. Worst conversation of my life. I'll spare you the details, but after after that, you know, the next day, the very next day, guess what came in the mail? My permission to work. And I was like, okay, Jesus. I don't know if you're holding up at the post office, at immigration. But the moment I made the decision to follow the conviction that God had put on my heart, even though I knew that my my parents did not understand. look, Look, I did not understand. But I knew that God was calling me. My brothers and my sisters, there's a world that is dying out there. There are souls that need to be reached. We talk about Jesus is coming soon, is he coming soon? Yes, he is. But how much more wicked can the world get? And we're busy living lives of respectable conventionality as Ellen White puts it. Parents, were are raising our kids for lives of respectable conventionality. We're looking for the nicest school, the easiest situation. I'm going to homeschool my kids because I need to shield them from the evil world. But who's going to go be a missionary to the evil world? And yes, we need to shield our children. We need to train our children. But the reason we do that is so that we can send them out to work for Jesus. When are we going to have the Waldensians again? When is a young person gonna get up and go to a public school not because they're running away from Adventism, not because they're looking for a good major, not because they're trying to make money and network, but because God called them to be a missionary? When is that gonna happen again? And parents, when are we gonna let go and allow our children to do this? Young people, when are we gonna realize that my faith My Christian experience has to be far beyond the experience of my parents, not because I disrespect them, but because the times we're living in demand it. And as parents, when am I going to realize that my parenting has to be different from my parents' parenting? They didn't live in 2020. And here we are. Jonathan, Jonathan couldn't tell his father what he was about to do. I want my children to be able to tell me, because we're on the same page. And I may not fully understand what God is calling them to, but I want them to be able to trust my heart. Listen to what the armor bearer said when Jonathan told him, verse 7, and his armor bearer said unto him, do all that is in thine heart, turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. The armor-bearer was Jonathan's support system. He said, look, you've searched your heart, and and you've seen that God is calling you to this. I'm with you. I'm here to support you. I'm here to encourage you. This is not the sermon I had planned to preach. Well, not to the T. But I believe it's the sermon that we need to hear. Somebody needs to be an armor-bearer for somebody. Somebody here at GYC is going to sense a call that they will not understand. God's going to call you to give up the things that make logical sense. When God closed the womb of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, they couldn't have, have understood what, why he was doing this, what was going on. But Hannah trusted God. When God leads you to straight places, when God leads you to desert lands, when God leads you to, to, to places where, 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 where it's hard, where the things that you know even God has intended for you are not happening, You know, God is the one who created us to be fruitful and multiply, right? Then why would he close someone's womb? And it doesn't make sense. But God, why would you do this? When God does does those kind of things in your life, will you trust him and obey? Will you trust and obey when it seems to make no sense? Well, Jonathan had a friend in that armor bearer. Because that armor bearer said, not just go and do it, go ahead. He said, I'm going to be with you as you go. And that's where he had said in verse 6, there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And the story goes that they, they go ahead and they say, well, you know, you, you, we've read the story before. If... if we approach, you know, and we show ourselves and they say, come up to us. And and then we know that God is going to fight for us. If they don't, then we're going to leave it alone. They go there and the Philistines are like, oh, little Israelites, come up here. We're going to show you a little sum sum. And Jonathan and his armor bearer are like, yeah, this is go time. God's got this. And so they go by a secret passage and they get up there and they are just slaying. Now the picture that emerges, it says in verse 14, uh, 13, Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. It took me several readings to get this verse. It says that Jonathan was in the front, right? And he's, he's, he's I don't know what, I don't know what the, you know, whatever stance he had, right? And, and they're falling before him. Like he's going one after another. Ha, 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 and, like, and the picture that emerges is the armor bearer is behind him. So, armor bearer carries the armor, right? So, he's behind him, and they, that one fell, slays him. That one fell, slays him. That one fell, and it says 20 men. Jonathan with his bare hands and the armor-bearer behind him making sure that nobody's gonna get up behind Jonathan and attack him from behind because and then God steps in and he does the rest there's such a tumult that arises the Philistines are killing each other it's all crazy and then uh, we don't have time to go into the rest of that story it was an impossible mission that God put on Jonathan's heart it was a mission that Jonathan's own family could not understand it was a mission that his father his own father could not get but he went ahead because God had called him and God's gonna call somebody and it's important though that Jonathan had an armor-bearer maybe you are Jonathan But maybe you are the armor-bearer. Maybe the person sitting next to you is sensing a call, will sense a call. Maybe you're you're, your brother, your sister, your roommate in your hotel, and you are that person who needs to be like, Yo, God's calling you, you gotta do this, and I'm right behind you, slaying with you. right? Are you going to obey when God calls you? Because of the times we're living in, the times being the end of time, because of where we are in the history of the world, I know that God is going to call each and every one of us to an unlikely mission. Each of us. You know, when, when I talk with my husband about this, like he says, Lord, I surrender, call me to be a millionaire, to give money to all your workers. (laughs) Some of us will be called to that. God doesn't need a lot of millionaires. So most of us, (laughs) sorry. And if you're praying to be the millionaire, you're probably not going to make it. Sorry, my husband. (laughs) But God's going to call all of us to an unlikely mission. I hate to say this because I'm married now with kids. When I used to say this as a single person, it had more weight, it felt like. And then when I would, as a single person, and I'd hear it from married people, I'd be like, yeah, 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 they say that because they're married. But I'm going to say it anyway, and you take it how you take it, and I pray the Holy Spirit will bring it to the hearts of those who need to hear it. Some of you, God is going to call to be single. I'm saying an unlikely mission not because marriage is bad, not because it's not desirable, not because we don't need that kind of companionship, but it's an, it, these are strange times. Consider that maybe if, if that person is not coming around, that maybe God's calling you to something else. Consider. And some of the married folk in here, And and like, again, I say, I don't know why the Lord did this to me. Like, I I got married and had kids. Was not my plan in life, right? So I'm I'm like, it, it must be God's calling on my life. But it makes it hard to say that some married folk will get married and not be able to have kids. Before you lose your faith over it, before you step outside of God's will, consider that maybe... Maybe God is calling you to something. You have plans for those millions. You have plans to establish yourself, buy a house, in the, and it's not coming together. Consider that maybe God has a different plan. Maybe God is looking for that person who's going to go reach those unreached people in the Middle East. Maybe your job isn't in America. Maybe your job is in Dubai. Oh, that'd be nice, actually. (laughs) But maybe your job isn't here. Because God wants you to step outside of here and go over there to the garrison of the Philistines. Because maybe he wants to use you as small as you are, as few as you are, He wants to use you to save the many. Just consider, before choosing to break the Sabbath, that God has a different plan. Before choosing to withhold your tithe, that God has a different plan. Before obeying your parents instead of obeying God, consider that God may have a different plan. They asked me before I came up here, because, like I said, this was not exactly what I had planned to say. And they asked me, are you going to have an appeal, uh, a specific appeal, like for missions or, you know, for baptism so that they could be ready to receive you in the front? And I said, no, but I'm sorry, Michael, because I do have an appeal that is specific. God is calling someone and you already know what he's calling you to and you're wrestling with him. And you're fighting because it doesn't make sense, it doesn't fit your plans, you're fighting because it's not how you were raised per se, you're fighting because, because the way society will view you, you're fighting for whatever reason, you know that God is calling you to a different kind of life and you're struggling and you're here at GYC and God brought you here and he put these words in my mouth for you because God wants you to surrender today he wants you to say Lord you can save by many or by few use me that somebody is here. I'm not calling the masses. It says by many or by few, I think this one is for by few. <laughs> I'm not calling the masses, I'm not, I'm not looking for a massive number of people coming up here. I'm looking for that one person that God has spoken to you already, God spoke to you. Maybe you don't know specifically what exactly he's calling you to, but you sense a calling on your life to do something unusual. And it's not bad to do the usual. It's okay to go be a doctor and go be a nurse and play piano as a pastor's wife. That's okay. But God is calling somebody to do something out of the ordinary. Are you understanding that this is not a general appeal? This is specific to that that person that God is calling today. I want you to come up. Come up front here so we can pray together. You're coming up because God is calling you to a specific mission. You sense the call on your life. And you need to surrender to Jesus, come up front. Souls are dying, Jesus is coming soon. We need to finish this work. There are strange times and call for strange measures. We have to live for Jesus in a way that we've never lived for him before. Come up. If God hasn't called you, you're that armor bearer. You need to be praying for these people. You need to be that armor bearer. But if God has placed a call on your heart, come. I'm incapable of making long appeals. I run out of words so just come this is many this is not few I surrender to the Holy Spirit's leading studying your word and surrendering myself to you I know that you're calling me come it's the last time I'm calling you to come 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 don't resist the Holy Spirit come come now come quickly our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed loving father We look at ourselves and we feel so small how is it that you can use me to impact the world but God you you don't need many numbers you sh- over and over and over again you show that in scripture you're not looking for the masses you're just looking for those few committed people whose hearts can be wholly surrendered to you just that one And with that one, there's no limit to the usefulness. Father, we have more than one up here who are saying that my life, I surrender completely to you. I know you're calling me to something unusual. Lord, I pray that you may work in these individuals' lives. Lord, remove the obstacles. And if you don't remove the obstacles, help them to get over those obstacles. Lord, if it's possible, Take away the fire, but if not, walk through the fire with them. Hold the mouths of the lions in the lion's den. Show yourself mighty in the lives of these people who have surrendered to you this morning. Lord, send us. There's a world that needs to hear. People who've never heard the name of Jesus. Who've never heard the story of salvation. And they need to hear it through us. Lord, guide us. Make us that generation that sees Jesus coming in the clouds of glory. We implore you, not not because there's anything special about us that we should be so blessed to see you come, but because we know your heart yearns to come and redeem this world from the evil that it is sunken into and continues to sink into. So Lord, use us. And lastly, Father, I pray that you may make it abundantly clear what specifically you're calling each individual here to do. Make it so clear that they know that not to obey is to disobey you. And in their obedience, we pray that there will be a great fruit of harvest. These things we're praying as we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.